Well, praise God, all things have passed away. There's something about uh, the ability when we choose to forget things and we choose to remember other things. And just again, uh, um, reading Psalm 103, we're quoting it this morning in our prayer meeting there, and where, where the, the psalmist says, Bless the Lord of my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord of my soul and forget not all his benefits. You see, the fact that we are believers, we have benefits. The fact that we have a covenant with God, we have benefits. Uh, of course, we've got responsibilities as well. We commit to God. We live by the word. We serve God. But the benefits are that God said he will look after us. And uh, as Jacob said there, he says, uh, if, if, if you look after me, he says, uh, uh, if you watch over me, that I come back to my father's house in peace. He says, and if you clothe me, and if you feed me, he says, surely the Lord is my God. And, and I don't know about you, but uh, that, that excites me. I tell you, that, that is exciting stuff. Anyway, praise God, I've already preached myself happy. As far as I'm concerned, I could already close the book and go home happy. Hallelujah. But anyway, we haven't barely started. So uh, if you haven't got an outline in your hand, just wave your hand. In other words, if you haven't got one of those bits of paper in your hand, just wave your hand. Somebody's going to get you one. Uh, I want you to have an outline of the message that I'll be bringing this morning. Praise God. just also want to uh, welcome my good friend, uh, Kevin Height. Uh, from the Avalon Baptist Church, a pastor there, and, and friends, and uh, praise God, it's good to have you guys here this morning. Let's just look to the Lord right now, I'm going to pray, trust God for Him to speak to us this morning. I've, uh, I'm a little bit like the psalmist, where the psalmist says, is, my heart overflows with a good theme, and as I was preparing for this message this morning, it was not a matter of, of what am I going to say, it's a, it's a matter of what, what will I leave out, because I've got so much to say. And in fact, it was like there was like three messages going at once, so there'll be a sort of a, a blending together of some things that will, uh, I'm sure, bless your life this morning. Father, we once again, uh, Lord, we as we set this time aside for the proclamation of your word, we thank you, Father, that Lord, you said that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. We thank you, Lord God, that our faith will be strong afterwards than what it is right now. And Lord, our hopes are up, and our hopes will be higher still by the time that we get to the end of the, of this message. We have an expectation, Lord, that your hand being upon our lives for good this year. Lord, you said that you know the thoughts that you have towards us. They're thoughts of peace and of a, of, of a future and a, and a good hope, Lord, to bless our lives. And so, Father, we commit to you afresh this year to, Lord, to serve you, uh, to be in the house, to, to Lord, to be tithers, to be, uh, uh, Lord, everything that you have called us to be. And we thank you, Father, that, uh, Lord, uh, by the time we get to the end of this year, if it runs its whole way, uh, if Jesus doesn't come by part, part way through it, we'll get to the end of the year victorious. We'll get to the end of the year having increased. We get to the end of the year having, seeing loved ones saved and friends and family members around us saved. We thank you, Lord God, that you're the God of increase. We believe in God for great things this year, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this morning's message is A New Year, A New Encounter with God. And that's what it is. It is a new year. In fact, I'm still trying to figure out how to say it. Is it 2010 or 2010? And, uh, but once I got it, it'll, like, it'll be easy, you know. But anyway, that's one of the minor issues. Uh, but this year, my friend, uh, is every other year, uh, beginning of the year, is like a, a, fresh, a fresh thing that God wants to do in our lives. 
and uh, it's an opportunity for a fresh encounter with God. And I have an ent- uh, a subtitle here this morning. That's what it means. I had so many thoughts that I wanted to encapture, so I, th- I thought I'd put in the subtitle there. And the subtitle is Marked for Life. That God wants our lives to be marked forever. Not just a touch here and a bit of a uh, bash there, but God wants us to be marked for life. Now, last year's gone, as we've already said. Uh, the new year is upon us, and we are poised for a great move of God in these last days before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And how do you know that Jesus is coming back? And he might come back this year. We don't know. We don't know when he's coming, but we know he's coming soon. And, uh, and we know that there is a great end-time move, uh, a great move of, uh, of salvation of souls where multitude and multitudes of people will be saved. And it's already happening uh, to a certain extent. And in different parts of the world, it's happening more so than in other parts of the world. But we want you to know that we're going to see a great and a mighty move even in this nation of New Zealand, even in our own city. And uh, prophecy must be fulfilled. How do you know that Jesus cannot and will not come back until prophecy is fulfilled? And when we say prophecy, that includes his own prophecy, his own prophecy, uh, his own promise. That's what I'm trying to say. His own promise of his own return. Uh, it will come to pass. And of course, as we've already said, that Jesus' return is not a matter of if, but it is a matter of when. And we're now one year closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, the second coming of Jesus being imminent, there are multitudes of people that still need to be saved before it's too late. I mean, how do you know that there is a time coming when it will be too late? That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if you're here this morning and you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, we want you to recognize and to realize there might not be years and years and years and years left. The better day to get saved is always today. Because tomorrow Jesus could be back, and then it's too late. All right? And so um, uh, the door of grace will shut soon, and the door of judgment will open. Whoever doesn't get saved before Jesus returns will find that there is no more salvation available after that great event. And I want to read to you from the book of Joel, chapter uh, 3. And Joel chapter 3 is, if you like, an end-time chapter. It speaks about end-time or last-day events. And it says they are put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. And that's figurative language for the harvest of souls. He says, put in the sickle, the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow. The winepress speaks of judgment. He says, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And the day of the Lord, when the Bible speaks of the day of the Lord, uh, many times the word day is in capital letters. That speaks of the day of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know the day that he will return. But Jesus says we will know, we'll have a sense that we will like know the season of his return, uh, uh, the general uh, timing, if you like. The sun and the moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish in brightness. And, uh, of course, that's again a prophecy that's repeated over in the book of Acts, chapter 2, where it speaks about the second coming. It says, The Lord also will roar from Zion and will utter His voice from Jerusalem. The heaven and the earth will shake, 
but the Lord will be a shelter to his people and the strength of the children of Israel. In other words, bad things are coming upon this earth in terms of unsaved people, and uh, the wrath of God will be poured out one day. Right now, it's the period of grace. But that period of grace is exactly what it says. It is a period of grace, or we could call it the door of salvation, which is still open, but one day it will close, and that, that period of grace will be replaced by a period of judgment where God will pour out uh, His judgment upon the earth. And see, multitudes of people are still without Christ. And I was referring, making res reference before to this, uh, to this dear relative of mine who, if you like, is a, is a, is a, is a, a very good guy, just a, a good person. He's, uh, we're just talking about with my sister in regards to some stuff that's gone down in the family. And, and my brother wants to settle things and he wants to sort things out. He, he's a peacemaker, but it is still without Christ. And don't let anybody believe that good people will go to heaven because they're good people. You see, people will only get to heaven because of Jesus Christ. And uh, so multitudes of people are still without Christ. They're lost and they're on their way to hell until they've heard the gospel and respond by surrendering their life to Jesus. They are in the valley of decision. We sang a song this morning, I Surrender. And they're good songs to sing because that's ultimately how salvation comes when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, make Him the boss and the Lord of our lives. And people are in the valley of decision. Uh, it's like the whole earth is the valley of decision, that if people are not saved, they're in the valley of decision and there are multitudes of them. That's why every one of us, we're making every effort to reach out and to share the good news with others so that they too can hear the gospel and be saved. Let me read from Luke chapter 13, and there's one continuing theme in regards to salvation, and, and at a certain time, it will simply be too late. Luke 13, verse 22, Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, saying, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he replied, saying, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, saying, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and we drank with you, and you toured in our streets. But he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you and where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of of teeth, for you will see Isaac, I start again, you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their place in the kingdom of God. I hope and I trust that you have already taken your place in the kingdom of God, that you're already in rather than still out. And note this, some who seem least 
important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And so again, the whole subject here is salvation. Jesus was asked a question saying, how many people will be saved? Will it only be a few? Will it be many? How many will be saved? And right there, Jesus used the example, used the, the, the imagery, of, if you like, of a master of a Middle Eastern house, where in Middle Eastern houses... Uh, as it is in every other house, I guess, somebody at some point goes around at nighttime to do a bit of a security check and then lock the doors. All right, that's the, that's the theme there. Okay, and so the door will be shut uh, at a certain time before nightfall, and once the door is shut, nobody is able to enter. And friend, surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ is not only a heart matter, but it's also a matter of doing so at the right time, uh, and not leaving it too late, because once the door of grace has shut, no one is able to enter in and get saved. And I don't know about you, friend, but that stirs us up in the area of evangelism, that we ought not have just the sense of security because we are saved, because there are many, many people around us who are still not saved. They need to hear the gospel. They need to respond. Um, and we are praying to that effect, that our loved ones and friends, family members, workmates, people all around us will be saved this year. That's our faith, and that's our expectation. And the moral of the story is this, get saved now before it's too late. And friend, if you're here this morning, once again, I don't know everybody. I don't know all the people in this auditorium here this morning, but if you're not yet saved... Your sins, sins are still not forgiven. Jesus is still not the Lord of your life. Why don't you make him the Lord of your life before you leave here this morning? Get your life saved and get your sins forgiven and get into the kingdom of God. And once you're in, live right before the Lord to demonstrate that you're in the kingdom of God. It's not just about saying a little prayer, but it's living right so that other people around us can see that we are, in fact, a part of the company of the believers. I want to come back to Jacob now. And I did say before that this was a, a bit of a medley this morning of different strains and, and different thoughts uh, pulled together here. But Jacob had many encounters with God. And, and the fact that it is a new year, uh, it's an opportunity for us to have a fresh encounter with God. That We are, we are seeing God in, in, a, in a fresh light. That our faith is, is operating at a higher level than what it was last year. Genesis 32 verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone. This is now the situation when he said that he had become two companies. He left that place with just a stick in his hand, but it now became two companies. And he sent his servants up ahead of himself, divided his livestock, and there was just like, uh, like countless uh, 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 livestock, which is, I guess, that's where their prosperity was in those days, uh, and divided them up into two companies and sent them up ahead of himself. Uh, then he sent his wife, his two wives, and the kids over the river. And the Bible says he was left by himself. It was just him and God. And, uh, and it says that Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. See, Jacob was an, an interesting individual. He had a, a tenacity to get a hold of God and to not let go. And, and, and of course, this man that wrestled here uh, with, with Jacob, uh, in my Bible, it's written in capital M. 
uh, man, this a man that was actually wrestling with God. Uh, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Um, and then he says, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. The word Jacob means that he was a supplanter. Uh, he was, there was somehow a bit of a, bit of a cheat in Jacob. Uh, the Bible says when Jacob was born, uh, he grabbed his, uh, his brother's uh, uh, heel, in, even in the womb, uh, and, and sort of uh, uh, wrestled with his brother already to try to get ahead of him. Uh, of course, we know that Jacob also cheated and he, got, he stole his brother's birthright just to get ahead in life. And I guess it was Jacob's mother, mother's idea. But nevertheless, there was this thing about Jacob that, uh, that he, just, uh, he just, once he latched on to something, he wouldn't let go anymore. And friends, our faith needs to be like that. Once we hold on, we're not going to let go. Uh, Vanessa and I, we've released our faith years ago uh, uh, towards things and towards seeing certain things in our lives that we haven't seen yet. But by faith, we see it and we haven't let go. Uh, because if we let go now, there will be almost like, a, like an abortion, you know, where there's something that is partially formed and suddenly it's done away with. And so we don't let go with our faith. We continue to hold on. And you see, faith is even able to carry on working in the earth once we've left the earth. The Bible tells us that Abraham's faith is still working today and he's lived and died a long time ago. So we don't let go. And what we're not just interested in for ourselves, we're interested in for our families and to leave a legacy a legacy of faith and, and of believing God and, and of not being in and out and in and out but latching on to God and not letting go anymore. Praise God. Latching on to something, seeing something by faith and seeing it in the Word and suddenly we realize what really belongs to us in God and we latch on and we don't let go. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. And so he says your name will be Israel. Of course the word Israel means you will be a prince. Uh, you've been a supplanter, but I've changed you. And I don't know about you, but uh, when I got saved, I needed major changing. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, people don't always see the, the wrestling with God that goes on in the prayer closet in our quiet times with God and, and with the Word and, and pacing the floor and walking up and down and believing God and confessing the Word and, and repenting and laying things down and picking up other things and so forth until a change comes from a cheat to a prince. From the old to the new. Because the Bible says that we are to put off the old with all of its deeds. The old man, the old nature uh, that wants to rule its own life. And we put on the new, uh, the Christ nature, uh, the Christ character. So Jacob wrestled. And sometimes, friends, in order to be, in order to fully uh, uh, become that which God wants us to be, there's a wrestling involved. Uh, and it's more than just responding to one altar call and coming up and say, all right, it's all done now. It's like we, we continue to hold on and we wrestle with God. I remember a number of years ago uh, uh, in, the, in the early days of uh, Vanessa and I just got saved and, and were involved in the church. And man, did our lives begin to change when we committed to a local church. We were out of the church and, and sort of uh, struggled along, I guess. But when we got into church, our lives really began to change. You see, God has never meant for Christians to be outside of a local church. He's planned for people to be inside the local church. You see, a, Christian's been, a Christian without a church is like a candle without a candlestick. Where do you put this thing? It doesn't fit anywhere, but it fits into the house of God. And I remember we were uh, involved in what sort of attended a, uh, 
a camp meeting, praise God for camp meetings. And uh, some of you might remember the Armor of God camp meetings in Waikanae, and one of the early ones there that we were a part of. And so we, we scratched uh, what little money we had, we scratched it together for ourselves and for our kids, and we went out there. And I remember clearly, first day was powerful, the second day was more powerful, and by the time the, the, the afternoon came along of the second day, I couldn't stand it anymore. Something was churning on the inside of me. Something was happening. God was doing something, and, uh, and like uh, I could have shrugged it off. I could have shaken it off, but it was too real to shrug off, and I remember going out into the field, uh, spending some time out there with, with God, and wrestling with God, and wrestling with... I, don't, I couldn't understand it all. I didn't know what was going on. Sometimes God does things and it doesn't make sense to our head, but it sure made sense in my heart. And somehow I knew that something was happening. And I spent a couple of hours out there with, with God, and I was crying and wailing, and something was happening on the inside. And I came away a changed man. And I'm saying to you, my friend, if you haven't yet had one of these encounters with God, then go after it, because God wants to change our lives. God loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. God wants to change us. And as I say, uh, we, we don't change by skimming along the surface. Sometimes we need to go deep and we need to allow God to take things out that are displeasing to Him. And, and, uh, and you know, a good repenting session is a good thing. Lord, I repent of this and I'm sorry for that and I don't want this in my life anymore. And wrestling with God. And Jacob wrestled with God that day and he came away a changed man. And this is not the first encounter that he had with God. But, you know, we need a series of encounters as we go along, I don't know about you, but I need a fresh encounter every day. <laughs> Praise God. He struggled with God. He, said, he says, you have struggled with God and with man, and you have prevailed. And Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask me about my name? It's like, Jacob, you should know that this is God. I'm God. Why do you ask me my name? Uh, I'm the God that revealed uh, himself to you uh, in the dream uh, when, you, when you saw angels ascending and, and descending on, on, uh, on uh, uh, this ladder there. I'm the God that revealed himself to you as you committed to the, to the tithe and to the offering. And though things didn't go too well to begin with, I turned you into two companies. I'm that same God uh, that when you came across the Jordan, which was a stick in your hand, he says, now, he says, I've turned you into two companies. And this is only just the beginning. He says, why do you ask my name? And uh, so he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Penuel, for I've seen God face to face. See, Jacob knew that he was wrestling with God. There was just him. He had sent his wife off. And you know, sometimes there's something about praise God and husband and wife flow together in the things of the Lord. What a blessing that is. And when they pray together, and it's absolutely wonderful. But at times, it's like just us and God. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's not right when men are slacking off and letting the, the, the missus do all the praying and all the church going and all the, all the other stuff. It's like men rise to the occasion. God's calling men to rise up, to be the leaders in the house, to be the leaders in the church, and to be the leaders in the community. And to not be in and out and in and out and in and out, but to have an encounter with God where at a certain point they rip out the gear stick and throw away like the reverse and they say, I'm not returning to the old things anymore. I'm not going back to pornography. I'm not going back to booze. I'm not going back to cheating and lying anymore. But I will be a man of God. And that's who I am. Praise God. And so 
says, uh, uh, he called the name of this place Penuel, for I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. And that's significant, friend, uh, because what happened was that, uh, that uh, uh, as Jacob had this encounter with God, and, and as we've said before, this man, capital M, was none other than God himself. Uh, Christ pre-incarnate, if you like. Christ in his pre-fleshly form was wrestling with Jacob. And uh, it, had, it started sometime in the middle of the night, and it lasted until, lasted until the morning. And, uh, and, and again, you know, sometimes people don't tell you the things that they do in, in order to become. You know, people don't get up and brag and say, look, I fasted for this long to break that habit in my life. And I've got up in the middle of the night and prayed for an hour or two for this long in order to break that thing in my life. But friend, there comes a time when we say, this thing is going to be snapped and thrown out of my life. Every habit, every attitude, everything that holds me back and Jacob is wrestling with God and uh, the Bible says that, uh, that that God touched him in, in, the, in, in his hip uh, struck him uh, uh, the, the Bible says uh, and, 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 and from that moment forward uh, uh, Jacob started to walk with a, with, a, with a limp, it's like he had a, a limp and, and he leaned and, uh, and Jewish tradition tells us that uh, Jacob walked with a limp from that moment forward and there's something significant about that that I want to talk to you about uh, because God wants to strike us in our side, uh, so to speak, so that we walk with a permanent limp in our lives, meaning that we lean away from the things of the world and we lean towards God, that in everything we do, there's always a tilt, there's always a bent towards God rather than away from God. You see, there's a problem uh, uh, with Western society, Christianity, where people have compartmentalized their faith into a Sunday-type religion, and then during the week there's somebody else, and at the weekend there's somebody else still. And depending on who they're with, which group of friends or which, which type of people they are, they're one thing or another. And sometimes people switch back and forth. God wants to strike us in our side. God wants to give, an, uh, give us an encounter where we leaning in a certain way with a tilt on it and away from the world and towards God no matter who we are with no matter what we do no matter what's going on at any given time so friend once we truly surrender our life to Christ we are marked for life we are marked for life there's no returning uh, to all things. There's no reversing out of it. Once you make a commitment, you don't back out of it. Uh, uh, once you, you stand up to be counted, you don't sit back down again and try to just uh, hide yourself in the crowd. Uh, see, in our walk, we demonstrate a particular bent, a certain tilt that causes us to lean towards the Lord and away from the world. And this bent is visible to others around us, it affects every area of our lives, our character, our values, decision-making, relationships, career, money, everything. The way we spend our time, everything. Once we have run into God, as, as it were, and God's run into us, we are marked for life never to be the same again. And this tilt, it only allows us to advance. It never allows us to retreat. Backsliding is not on the agenda. Backing out of a commitment is not on the agenda. There's only one way, and that's forward. 
Praise God. <laughs> Friend, if you haven't or if you aren't yet walking with a real God limp, you haven't yet had a real God encounter. And there's something about, you know, the old day Pentecostals talked about seeking God. Seeking God. And they talked about praying through. Where you don't just pray a quick prayer just in between, in between uh, driving from A to B. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I, try, I use my driving around as praying time for various other things. But there's got to be more than that, surely. Um, where we commit uh, our life to Christ and, uh, and, uh, and where, we, where we pray through and where we seek God and, and uh, allow things to form in our spirit. Um, once we get it on the inside, we can demonstrate it on the outside. Um, and once the Christ life begins to form on the inside, it, it flows through to the outside. Religion tries to change us from the outside in dress in a certain way, walk in a certain way. But Jesus comes to the inside and then he works his way to the outside. And when we first get saved, and people might say, oh, you don't look saved and everything, but praise God, but I'm in the door. All right, and I'm now changing. Praise God. And I'm now, I'm now being transformed. And I'm now going from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. Uh, and we're growing in the things of the Lord. Let me read from John chapter 6. Many among Jesus' disciples heard this, and they said, this is a tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Friend, uh, we've pointed this out before, but you know when the Bible speaks about, uh, about us being fed on the, on, on, on the Word of God, the Word of God feeds our spirit. The Bible speaks of milk, which is suitable for babes. Babes in Christ, when a person is first born again, they're a babe in Christ, and they receive the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, a baby has milk, and then eventually baby goes on to solids, and the Bible speaks of milk, it speaks of meat, and it speaks of strong meat. And uh, we demonstrate our maturity in Christ and in God, in our faith, when we can hear strong meat. And it doesn't cause us to go backwards. When we hear something, you see, Jesus had just preached a sermon that blew the socks off of most people in that place. And he talked about uh, that his body is the bread of life. And he says, if you haven't partaken of, of me, he says, of my body, he says, you, you, you can't be in God's kingdom or something to that effect. And if you haven't, haven't drank my blood, he says, you, 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 you can't be in God's kingdom or something to that effect. Well, drinking blood, it's like, uh, it's like to a chew. It's like the worst thing that anybody could mention. And you know, sometimes, you know, this was like, uh, this was a deal that they had in the Old Testament where God says that they were not to, to have blood, but they, this whole thing had become a cultural thing. And you know, sometimes there's cultural norms that precondition us to have a problem with certain things in the Word of God. And strong meat is not necessarily deep teaching that people can't understand. But strong meat is stuff that challenges us to the core. And Jesus was saying things that challenged these people to the core. And, uh, and uh, Jesus sensed in his heart, uh, sensed that his disciples were having a hard time with this, and said, does this throw, does this throw you completely? What would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he came from. The spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. 
every word that I've spoken to you is spirit word, and so it is life-making. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part in this. Jesus knew from the start that some weren't going to risk themselves with him. He knew also who would betray him. And he went on to say, This is why I told you earlier that no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the Father. And uh, this, after this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the disciples their chance. Do you also want to leave? And Peter said, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy One of God. All right, this is very powerful here. Where Jesus preached a sermon that challenged the people to the core. That sermon was designed to strike the people in their side and to give them a God limp that they would be leaning towards God and away from the world, away from religion, away from habits where they previously walked. And somehow, uh, a lot of the people couldn't cope with it too well. So the Bible says they up and left and no longer wanted to be associated with him. And so Jesus turned around and he said to his 12 disciples, he says, are you leaving as well? He says, this is your chance. If you need to go, go now. But Peter had a, an encounter with God that marked him for life. He says, Lord, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, Lord, we might not understand everything that you're saying. And we might not fully be able to embrace everything of what you're saying right now. We are really struggling with this. But we, we know one thing. He says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. In other words, where shall we go? We're committed. He says, uh, we have already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy One of God. And friends, sometimes in God, God demands things from us that we don't understand. And we can't figure out sometimes, and we don't quite know what it all means and what it all entails. But we're on a journey, and we know one thing. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it is my faith that everybody in this house here, we're a part of the ones that are committed. We're not walking back. We're not walking out. We're not back out of a commitment but we're walking with God we might not always be able to figure everything out of what God demands from us but friends where we are going this year it requires us to affirm our commitment and say we're on board it's not having a one <laughs> foot in on one ship and one foot in another ship <laughs> praise God it's like we've wrestled with God and we've wrestled with the things of the world and we've decided to let it go Praise God. That's who we are. So Peter affirmed his original commitment to Christ in this moment of crisis. He was as challenged by the words of Jesus as were the other disciples, but he refused to retreat. So to retreat is not part of our vocabulary. It's not part of our practice. We've thrown away the reverse skier stick a long time ago. We're on board. We're with God. And... Uh, and, uh, and we're going places. God's really looking for commitment in our lives. And I know that many of you committed. You're, you're committed to the core and beyond. Um, 
And others of you are still weighing things up. And like, uh, you know, there are people sometimes that are just, you know, just playing church, doing the church thing on a, on a Sunday a little bit and not too much of it and then, and then off again to do other things. But, 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 but Jesus is looking for people that have jumped in and say, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? I'm on board. Now I want to talk to you uh, about some uh, certain experiences and encounters that the Bible speaks of that leave us permanently marked in our lives. There's some Old Testament typology I want to speak to you about. Uh, one of those is the mark of ownership. And there's a real significance in that. Um, here in Deuteronomy, the Bible describes a God speaking to the Jewish people. They're telling them how to treat slaves. Slavery was not part of God's plan, but if you like, God condoned it. And Jewish people were commanded to treat their slaves right. And most of them would have done so, uh, treated them right. Slaves were treated better than hired servants were. Uh, so slavery today and back then is not necessarily comparable. But anyway, God's saying to them, he says, If it happens that your slave says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then you shall take an all. And th is that how you pronounce it, an all? Something to that effect. Anyway, it's an it's a oversized needle, and I'll get to it in a minute. You shall take an all and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also, to your female servant, you shall do likewise. What was happening was that uh, um, there was such a thing as the year of Jubilee where slaves were set free and then they were allowed to go wherever they wanted to go. They were free, free people. But there were a certain number of slaves that says, uh, I've been set free, all right, according to the year of Jubilee, but I love my master and I love my master's house. I don't want to leave. I'm happy here. I'm prospering in this house. My master is looking after me. All is well. I don't want to leave. And God's saying to them, if there is such a, uh, such a slave that doesn't want to leave your house, and he affirms to you that he loves you as his master, he loves you or loves your house, he says he wants to stay, then what you will do, you will take an awl. Now, an awl is one of those oversized needles that had a handle on it uh, that they would use to, to sew leather, oversized needle, like a really huge sort of a deal. He says, and what you will do is, he says, you will take your servant to the doorpost of your house. He says, you put his earlobe against the doorpost, and then he says, and then you thrust that awl through his ear. And it was, if you like, you know, man, well, there's nothing big, no big deal about it. You know, all of that ear piercing and nose piercing and mouth piercing and everything else piercing that goes on today. Anyway, let's not go there. I, I, let me not start on that. Anyway, so it was like a, a sort of a deal where, where that oversized needle was thrust through his earlobe into the doorpost, signifying a number of things. Number one, of course, the, 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 that all was taken back out again. They didn't just leave him there, all right? <laughs> and so the thing was taken out again, but being rather a large instrument, it left a permanent mark on his life. I mean, if you talked about being marked for life, all right, it left a permanent mark on this slave. So when other people saw him, they said, oh, this one is a bond servant. Bond servants were permanent slaves, all right? Not slaves that served for a while and then were, were allowed to go. Incidentally, when Paul introduced himself to the Romans in his letter to the Romans, uh, uh, he says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And that's the language 
that he wanted to convey. Of course, non-Jewish minds, we lose a lot of that stuff. That's why it's good to, 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 to understand what it all means. He says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He says, I have had an all thrust through my ear, pinned to God's house, and I'm committed to my master, and I'm committed to my master's house. I love God, and I love the house of God. And that's the sense there. All right, so as the outline says, the, this practice left a permanent mark on the slave's earlobe, and interestingly, the slave demonstrated his love and his commitment to his master by allowing himself to be pinned to the master's house. And friend, let me say this. It could very well be that there are people here this morning, and you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, but you haven't allowed God to pin you to God's house, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to make a commitment to a local house, to, to grow, to be planted in the house, to grow, to serve, and, and, and to be served, and to be a blessing, to use your gifts, to use your talents, to use your time and your treasure for the building of that particular house. Very significant. See, our mark of ownership, let me say it again, our mark of God ownership is evidenced by the love for God's house. I meet people and say, I love God. I just don't want to be part of the church. Immediately I know they don't love God. Because our love for God is evidenced by the love that we have for the house. Of course, we've got a house here. Pastor Kevin has got a house up the valley there. There are various houses uh, around the, the city and around the nation, all local churches that God has, has the saints committed to, uh, um, pinned to, if you like, and committed to the growing of that particular house. Let me move on and quickly bring one other thought, and then we'll close. There are also there's other marks. There's marks of encounter where Jacob had an encounter with God and left him permanently marked. And some of us, we've been permanently marked. We're like we, we've been ruined for the world. Just like ruined for the world. Uh, uh, it's like, you know, I, I, it's like when people are forever. You know, Jesus says, if you put your hands to the plow, he says, and if you look back, to the world where you've come from. Oh, I had such a good time with my friends. And oh, what a wonderful life I had back then. It was so good to get drunk and to get smashed and to get laid and everything else. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. Are we all right this morning? And, and, so, and so once we are marked for life, we don't have that tilt to look back this way. We lean towards God, and that's the way that we're walking. We are permanently marked. And then, of course, there's that mark of ownership. Uh, and our love for God is evidenced by the love that we have for the body of Christ, for the people of God, for the individual houses, um, in, in you know, the individual churches. And there's a mark of persecution here, which is interesting. Paul, again, the apostle, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show that I belong to Jesus. That's strong language, friends. Uh, Paul was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And you know, they were what they called the Judaizers. They were people that got into the churches that Paul had started and tried to talk him out of uh, looking to Paul as their apostle. And they said, well, we're circumcised. We're Jews. You know, we're Pharisees. We're, we're all of these people. And they, and they, as it were, challenged Paul's authority of being who he was and of saying what he was saying. And Paul says, don't trouble me with this stuff anymore. He says, I bear in my body the marks 
What does it say here? I bear my body the marks or my body the scars that I belong, that show that I belong to Jesus. Of course, we know that Paul had experienced incredible persecution, some of which, which will never happen to us. Uh, Paul was beaten by the authorities uh, several times, like beaten with sticks, um, 39 lashes. Paul was stoned uh, on at least one occasion, left for dead. Uh, Paul had all sorts of um, stuff hurled against him, so much so that he says, I've got in my scars, in my body, I've got wounds, I've got scars that I can show you, he says, that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that I belong to Christ. And in other words, we are the committed ones. We don't back down when, when, you know, when there's a little bit of persecution that flies loose. Once again, in Western society, we don't really uh, appreciate persecution as our brothers and sisters uh, experiencing behind the bamboo curtain behind the iron curtain in places under you know communist regimes china uh some of the asian countries under muslim regimes in some places under hindu hinduism regimes and everything where where to become a believer is to be immediately disowned by the family uh to be placed on 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 some sort of a uh, uh death uh, death wish list uh, where where people will, will literally have a contract put on their lives because they committed their life to jesus christ we will never know what that means in our country but we have our our share of certain things you know and sometimes uh, certainly some of our friends don't want to be our friends anymore because after all we're going to church now Maybe some of our family members are not, not so excited about our, our newfound faith. And maybe there's some, some sense of rejection that we may experience from time to time. Testing us, uh, uh, if you like, testing our faith. But as I've said before, we have been permanently marked. We are marked for life. We only know one way, and that way is forward. Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 10. You, however, know about uh, my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things I endured, uh, rather what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everybody. All right? Every one of us, there will be some, some sense where not everybody is happy about us serving God or believing God. And somewhere, somehow, you know, persecution is designed to knock us off our course and to cause us to go back again. But friends, we have been marked for life. We don't know retreat. We only know one way, and that way is forward. And where we are going this year is a family of God. We are going into exciting places. Let me say, too, that in terms of, uh, in terms of the prosperity message and some of the things that we have been speaking about for some time, not all Christians get excited about that, but we can't be talked out of it. We've seen it in the Word. We know it's part of God's plan for our lives. And praise God and, and, and some of our prayers. We are praying huge prayers today. Uh, we haven't seen everything come to pass of what we've prayed for in previous years, uh, including the year 2009. But this year, this year, mark my words, there will be major breakthroughs in the lives of some of you. As I've said before, some of you have entered the year 2010 with only a stick in your hand. But at the end of the year, you've become two large companies. Let God do something significant in your life. 
Let God do something significant in the life of us as a church. With 20 years ago, we had nothing but a stick as a church. And today, God's put us into property that's worth millions. And this is only just the starting point for where we are going, friend. And uh, as I said last year, we launched out into missions. Uh, this is but the beginning of where God will launch different ones. Some of you will be going doing missions trip regularly. Others of you, you will be into, into business where you might be struggling right now. And next year, you'll have two businesses. You'll be funding mission trips. You'll be doing all sorts of things. Some of the senders and some of the goers. Uh, and, uh, and so some people, they they're, their main aspect is funding and sending, and others are going and uh, and uh, just getting into exciting stuff this year. Friend, my heart is full of anticipation, not just for us as a whole, as a local church, but for every single person in the house. Vanessa and I, we are praying for you regularly. We are praying for breakthrough in your life. We are praying for your prosperity. And praise God for some it manifests sooner than others, but everybody. Jesus paid for it all on the cross for everybody, not just for some. We're trusting God that young people are going to come out of school hitting the ground running, uh, not having the issues and the problems that other uh, young people are having who are not in, in Christ. We believe in God that marriages will be freshly bonded this year where husband and wife are freshly in love with one another again as it should be. Praise God. And frankly, there's something exciting when, you know, you see an older couple walking along, holding hands and looking at each other with a smile on their face. That's a godly marriage where God has touched their lives and hit them on their side where they've got a permanent tilt towards each other. They don't look at no other people. She's not looking at any other blokes and he's not looking at any other girls. Praise God because they've been bonded together for life. One man, one woman. Hallelujah. Kids are serving in the house. All the wayward kids are coming back. This year, my friend, that's what our, our faith is. We are releasing our faith for everybody that this year, wayward kids are going to return. Praise God. The people that are out and about uh, will be in the house before the year is out. Let's join our faith together. Let's make one sound. Don't be a dissident. Don't stand on the sideline criticizing. We're all on board. We're making one sound. Uh, Paul the Apostle said to the Philippian church, he says, I implore you. He says that you all speak the same thing. We have got a, we've got a victory cry, uh, praise God, on, on our lips. And we're all speaking victory. We're not speaking defeat. We're speaking advance, not retreat. We're speaking health and not sickness. We're speaking prosperity and not poverty. We're speaking salvation, not people going to hell. Praise God. Are you stirred up this morning? Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There's a little prayer in this outline there that uh, you may choose to pray um, at a time uh, suitable to yourself. Um, but just as I begin to, uh, we begin to wind down, I just wonder if there's anybody here this morning and somehow this message this morning has evoked something in you. You now know that you've been struggling with God and you haven't let go of some things. It could be memories of the past, uh, a broken relationship. It could be a major disappointment where you somehow you thought you believed God, but it hasn't happened and it hasn't come through. Uh, it, who knows what? Who knows? Uh, you stepped out. You thought God was leading you, but it came to naught. And now all you've got is a stick in your hand. Let it all go and let God thrust you into something new, into something fresh. Uh, let God bring people to you, uh, div 
divine connections could be that there will be that there will be spouses coming along. I I sense spouses are coming along for some of the people that are believing God for a spouse, uh, uh, men that are believing God for a pretty girl, Hallelujah, and for girls that are believing God for a strapping young man like uh, many of us here. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's do something radical this year. I was thinking this year I'm going to grow my hair just to do something radical. But I might not. I might not. I might do something else. Let's do something radical. This is the year 2010 to do something fresh, something new. Break out of the rut. Praise God. Let's go to a new place in God and never to return again to the previous level. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm kind of uh, just... uh, just, uh, just working out. God wants you to do something here. I'm kind of sensing that uh, I, I see people jumping out of their seats and running down here for no other reason, for no other reason than to demonstrate their love for God and to demonstrate their love for God's house. And, and others might say, I'm already committed and I'm sitting in my chair and I'm quite happy. And that's fine too. I see others running down and you suddenly realize that your business had not been thoroughly surrendered to Jesus Christ. That somehow, that somehow you've been making decisions and you had not consulted with God who wants to be your business partner. There's others somehow, your marriage, your relationship is not somehow been brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, whatever that means, as I say, I see people jumping up and running down. Don't wait for anything else to happen. If you feel that you need to do that, and you've been wrestling with God for some time, and, and you want that wrestling to stop, you want to lay something down at the altar, and not to take it with you when you go back again, then, then you come and, and just stand before the Lord, kneel before the Lord. Maybe we could have some music here. Others of you, uh, you have been struggling with something that you haven't wanted in your life, but God wants you to have it. It means that you're coming down, and you're not going to lay something down, but you're going to pick something up. You're going to grab something. You're going to take it with you and say, thank you, Jesus. This is now part of my life, whatever it is, whatever it was. Friends, there is a glorious future waiting for every single one of us. Uh, This year, 2010, 2010, our prayer is that everybody gets to the end of the year, that nobody's going to fall out, that nobody's going to fall by the way, that nobody's going to die early, nobody's going to experience bad stuff uh, at all. But our prayer is that God will just take us from strength to strength and from glory to glory. Spirit of God is already speaking to different ones right now. If God's speaking to your heart and you know that you need to get yourself down the front, then feel free to do so. I don't want to like uh, push this thing. This is not a, a man thing. This is a God thing. Just between you and God. Remember when Jacob sent his wife ahead? He sent the company ahead. He sent the business ahead, all of his servants. And he, was remain, he remained standing there uh, in, in the night, just him and God. And, and let this time now be just you and God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, let's sing that song together. Thank you, Jesus. To stand and believe. Yes, we stand and we believe, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, thank you, Father. 
Thank you, Jesus. It's a new day, it's a new time, it's a new place in you, Lord, time to stand and believe. Yes, Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. I just, uh, I just sense that God's doing something in the life of somebody here. It could be a number of people. God is imparting courage for the year 2010. Somehow there's somebody here. You're facing this new year with an apprehension. Somehow with a, with a fear that things are not going to work out. But God is imparting courage right now. And you, God wants you to get your faith up. God wants you to get your hopes up. That things will work out as we walk with God this year. That God's called us to walk by faith and not by sight. We don't look at the things that we see, but we look into God's Word. And it promises a great future. God has promised us a glorious future. Praise God. So let that impartation t take place right now. Just embrace that courage that God's putting into your heart right now. Thank you, Lord. 